I don't know if I can blame capitalism on this or not, but I've been having you issues can blame everything on capitalism on time. <laughs> you probably can exactly, but I've been having issues falling asleep on time for a for quite a for quite a while now, and I found yeah. a alternative medicine source of uh, something that actually helped me uh, balance out my work to uh, being awake to being asleep time and yeah. it's quite literally surprise surprise catnip they huh. actually sell <laughs> these little four human pills of catnip uh, that you can consume and it makes you makes your anxiety makes your everything go away and that uh, you sleep like an absolute baby and apparently it's not addictive or uh, or very bad for you so so it feels like i mm. cheated the system in a way huh what is catnip? I've never understood it. It's a herb. Um, uh, that uh, it's literally just this, like a special kind of grass um, huh. that uh, cats for some reason really like. Um, but uh, I just looked it up uh, for you, uh, Ugo Pnik, and you're uh... <laughs> uh, apparently uh, it's uh, on NCBI. There is evidence of it helping cats and uh, baby chickens sleep. So, <laughs> well, it's not. Well, a, I, I can't, there's a different word that they use for it mm, when it comes to mm. when it comes to well, it being human, served yeah. to humans, but uh, I can't remember it right now. Nor will I uh, Google it. Uh, are you but, sure it doesn't yeah. have a? Um, uh, there's no THC component because sometimes people yeah. mix THC oil in. in no, uh, dude. That, that, no, not, not, nothing like that. It, it costs oh, okay. uh, five US uh, cents mm. for like wow. hundred pills. <laughs> Yeah, it's Maybe, write, a bunch write, of grass. Yeah. Write the name of equation. I'll look it up for my own interest later. We're going to have Papa Ugopnik's uh, alternative medicine hour in, in the next podcast. <laughs> we just list all the strange herbs you've bought for, for chickens and cats that help you sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they're giving that shit for to fight uh, COVID or whatever, that whatever dewormer shit. Ivermectin, so I was like, okay, yeah. if, they, if, if that fucking thing apparently works for some idiots, then I might as well try some chicken shit and some cat shit for my sleeping disorder. And apparently it worked, so... The next episode, expect me to defend Ivermectin as well. I don't know. I can't, I can't intro. You guys intro. I cannot fucking intro anything. <laughs> well, but, I'm very no, curious seriously. about this, yeah. this, uh, this literary uh, this thing cool. you're going to be quoting. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> As, okay, I'll, I'll do it now. Okay, as we all know, one of the most important literary experiences of the 21st century is the video game series Far Cry. In one of its installments, a literally insane pirate slash terrorist slash dictator of a small uh, Oceania island once said, "The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over." and over again, and expecting different results. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this insane small island dictator probably understands more about this system than many of your family members. We live and experience the daily dread of everything that we are accustomed to and that we think is normality when it comes to the way we have organized society yet we look at the ones that are trying to do something about it and actually change it as those who are insane 
yet we who support it and live it every day and do not struggle against it are the ones who are truly insane. Welcome to the fourth episode of the, the program where we will be talking about arguably the last extremely serious topic, at least for the next four or five episodes, which <laughs> is promptly titled The Definition of Insanity slash Limits of Capitalism. I'll let the gentleman take this away from me before I start talking <laughs> for like an additional 15 minutes and start making less and less sense. Uh, don't blame me for this. They made me do the intro. I suck at doing <laughs> intros. Uh, thank you, you did very beautifully much. Heavy that was wonderful. It's, it was absolutely beautiful. TLDR, we live in a society. Um, <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> the general gist of today's episode will be a discussion of uh, the general issues of capitalism, why it is a system that we do not want and we do not like, and uh, regardless of what we think, will implode on itself and continue to harm humanity, if not lead to our direct extinction, if we don't get rid of it. Um, so I thought maybe we can just um, juggle a bunch of ideas and then give our silly little examples of what can, I guess, you know, be connected to the general crappy situation of capitalism. Um I guess I could start with that, if it's okay with you guys. Yeah, go for um, it. I, I had this, this very stupid fucking memory that come to, come to mind the other day when we were preparing to, to for this episode. Um, when I was very young, all right, m like me and my family, we grew up fairly poor when we were young, right? And uh, basically, my dad had this shitty old, like, third or fourth hand uh, Reno or Renault. I don't fucking care. French is a waste of time. Um, very garbage car. Absolute fucking piece of shit. He bought it for the equivalent of maybe, like, $200 or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was garbage. But basically, the reason that I want to uh, mention how is... Uh, so sometimes it would work. Sometimes, you, you know, you get in the car and then you just, like, turn the key, you turn the ignition, and it would turn on. Uh, but other times what would happen is uh, you try and you try and try again and the ignition and it doesn't even make a noise. So what my dad would have to do is he would have to manually push the car uh, from the driveway into a nearby hill and just kind of let it roll down the hill. <laughs> and then he would have to run <laughs> behind the car, jump in the driver's seat, and then somehow for some reason it would turn on. Um, now, that's not the only fucking thing. It had a million other things. The fucking water cooling or the cooling system in it was it had, like, holes in it. So my dad had to uh, ride with the gallon, uh, like, jugs, basically, of water. And then he would have to stop every 15 minutes to fill it up so the, uh, the engine wouldn't overheat. It was a <laughs> fucking piece of shit car. The reason I'm even telling this story is whenever I think of the boom and bust cycles of capitalism, it's kind of like this. Uh, and I'll qualify what I mean, because for the uninitiated, right, capitalism is a cyclical system, right? It doesn't stay stagnant or constant. Um, there are points of, like, we can call it prosperity or booms, and then there are busts where everything goes to shit. Um, the uh, reality, though, in, is most people's lived experience is that the boom is not really that much of a boom. It's kind of just okay. And the bust is a really bad fucking bust. Mm. Um just kind of like the car. The car would, yeah, it would work sometimes, but it would still be shitty. That's the boom. And the bust would be when you had to fucking roll it down the hill and it wouldn't turn on. <laughs> and then there's the boom where it explodes, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But yeah, so thank you for entertaining my stupid story, but how about this? This is the intro topic, boom and bust cycles. Do you want to take it from me, JT? Sure, yeah. I, I, and that's a, a great story. It reminds me of, <laughs> of, of my first car. I bought a... Um, 
an old a 1981 Datsun 280Z as my first car, and this was well, a little side anecdote here. Uh, if you guys don't know, in America we we all drive automatics because we're stupid and don't want to row our mm. own gears. But this I had never. <laughs> I knew in theory how to drive a manual, but I had never done it in practice. So I, I was on Craigslist, which is like you know just classified ads, and I saw it. Uh, mm-hmm. This Datsun go up. Uh, real, real cheap, and I was like, I, I <laughs> messaged the guy. I'm like, I'll take it. I'll be there after work. And so I, I, I wrangled a friend of mine to to take my car back after I drove there, and I drove this thing back. Mm. No idea how to properly drive a manual. And, and anyway, long story short, it also needed to uh, a bit of a rolling start. But um, <laughs> hooray for hooray for old cars. Um, but yeah, so for boom and bust cycles, I think you're very uh, you're on the mark there that. For the average person, uh, the boom isn't all that great. It's it's a very unequal thing. So when the economy is booming, it's the people at the top, those with all, who already have capital, that really reap the benefits of it. And then when a crash comes along, when the bust comes, it's the normal people who suffer, and their quality of life goes goes way way down. Um, so, for example, in the the two thousand eight uh, financial crash. And the the recession that followed, um, my the family. The pandemic now. Yeah, and the pandemic now. Exactly the same. It's the same same thing. Like my family is very very well off. Like uh, I don't know how much exactly my parents mm. or my dad makes, but it's a lot. He works in in pharmaceuticals, which which you know, mm. Mm, not great. I've got one. I've got my dad mm. in pharma. Same as my girlfriend. Wood, wood. Yeah, I've got- <laughs> maybe maybe your dad can find <laughs> yeah. her a job. You know, a better place position. Yeah, if you want to work <laughs> at, at you Pfizer. Know, commies helping commies out, doing well in capitalism, bro. Yeah, come on, we can do some shit. You know, you can you can let's network. Out, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I got so connections good. there. I've got connections. What's, in what's your fucking oil LinkedIn and gas? URL, bro? I'll, I'll I'll hook you up with my girl, man. Uh, you know. <laughs> Come party with us over here on the Balkan coast, bro. We got some good blow, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? All right, all right. Go on, Drag, go on. Sorry. jets up in this <laughs> Anyway, anyway sorry, yeah. So, uh, like I was saying, I mean, my family was very well off. And this was, you know, 2006, 2007. We had just moved to Connecticut. Nice, nice really big house. Um, I was, geez, I don't even remember how old I was at the time. 15, 16, maybe, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the crash happened. And this, we had been in that house for maybe a year or so. And we had to move. Like it was, it was enough to affect people in that you know very close to what we'd consider you know quote unquote rich, like the top whatever mm-hmm. percent, three five percent, um, something like that. But it just goes to show how extreme your wealth has to be to weather a bust, and that is how it works yeah. here in the states, exactly. at least. I mean, the, the the people at you know Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, that level of wealth are the ones who benefit, the only ones who benefit. And everyone below them, 99%, you know, more than 99% of the population suffers. And with each time this happens, it gets worse. The plight of the average person worsens. And this will continue forever until it eventually breaks our consumerist system. Because eventually, the bust is going to be so severe and the cumulative effects of each previous bust that we're not going to have anything left. We're not going to be able to consume the products that we produce with our labor. And that, I think, is a big problem. But you guys take it from there. Tell me about your situations. I, 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 I really wish there was uh, 
a sort of a sound effect that we can insert into this podcast of <laughs> every time I sh- I'm shaking my head, it can actually be making a sound effect because otherwise <laughs> the listeners will not uh, understand how, just how much I agree with uh, what these two assholes are saying. <laughs> but I could like I, I can I cannot agree more, which is. You know, the, the common point these uh, monkey libertarians like to come up with is that the market has this ingenious fucking way of, uh, quote-unquote, self-correcting. It mm. uh, is supposed to be destroying the unethical or unproductive parts of the market, and it's, you know, turning them into uh, these alternatives, which are, as it happens to be, almost always supposed to be also even more profitable. But when it actually comes to, like, larger economic shifts, uh, that's literally never the case. I mean, the market doesn't really self-correct. It just postpones its Mm. problems for a later date, which is what eventually leads to what my children, we can call ballooning and crashes. I don't know. For example, I'll use the same example that you did because it's so perfect. For example, medium median income levels uh, have not moved uh, pretty much an inch, yet uh, private property and real estate prices for the last 30 years have absolutely skyrocketed. So if we put our market thinking uh, hats on and uh, see how this market is supposed to self-correct, we're going to see what happened in 2007, 2008, and 2009, which is what? Oh, let's just give everybody a loan, and that's going to help us uh, with the quote-unquote accommodation problem that everybody's facing, which is a fancy way of saying we got to postpone this because we have no idea what to do right now. So great. Now banks are giving loans left and right to people that uh, very often cannot cover Uh, the loan that they actually got, which leads to a massive balloon and a massive crash. And then who ends up being both uh, homeless and with a massive debt again? The everyday individual. Um, And I really get pissed off when when these idiots uh, lose their shit at this specific argument because they tend to say, oh, you know, 2008, 2009 happened because of a few specific banks and a few specific corporations (laughs) and these individual bankers and CEOs which did this specific thing which, uh, which led to it. I mean, no, that's not the case. These people saw an opening in the market and they filled it. Someone always would have filled it. Why was there an opening, a a tumor of sorts in the market in the first place? Which, by the way, still exists to this day. I mean, nobody can buy a fucking house anymore. So it was because the system couldn't figure out what to do with the given problem that was put in front of it. Hell, one could say that the system didn't and doesn't even compute that it needs to do anything about something like that. The needs of the common man are completely irrelevant to the model itself. So don't let them tell you economic crises are natural, especially when you can obviously see that every time they happen, the system readjusts in an even more fucked up way for you Mm -hmm. than before. It does not work. 
But I just wanted to add to that also is that we need to keep in mind um, that when capitalism crashes, uh, most of the time it's because of no external impulse. There's no war that's happened, no sudden like I don't know massive agricultural shortage. Nothing. It just happens out of the blue. Exactly. Unlike when you compare with socialist countries, for example, to give the example of the USSR, for example, which throughout its seventy year seventy some uh, year existence did not have a single economic crash because of internal facts. Of course, there was um, invasion and whatnot. This, of course, yeah, can't be helped. Um, but otherwise, not a single economic crash. But uh, what I would like to kind of like pin point is i really like this argument but it's not my favorite argument the argument in which we kind of appeal to the common sense of the average people uh and we say look uh capitalism when it it, there has boom and bust cycles and when it crashes basically the richest of the rich still manage to either at least maintain their wealth or still get massively wealthy as we've seen during the pandemic now there's been a transfer wealth transfer of over four trillion dollars to the richest what like 0.01 percent or something like that Mm. um Literally, like a, a few dozen names um, that have grown like massively, unfathomably in wealth. Meanwhile, the vast majority of people lose out. Um, and even the old uh, stupid market ma- uh, mantra that is, oh, a rising tide raises all boats or whatever the fuck it's, uh, whatever the stereotypical phrase is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, what really happens is that this rising tide disproportionately affects um, the very largest of the boats, and most of the small boats just somehow still manage to fucking sink underneath this, ooh, lovely uh, market-driven uh, economic growth. But the reason I don't like this uh, argument is because it doesn't underpin the um, uh, the irrationality of capitalism, which is uh, that boom and bust cycles are a result of what Marx termed overproduction. It's a crisis of overproduction. What this means concretely is that there are too many commodities produced, now, under just asking the average person, if you were to tell them, hey, we have too much milk and potatoes and fucking, I don't know, uh, bedding covers and shit being produced, too many cars and too many window framings and too many iron pipes, whatever the fuck, most people would be like, yeah, I mean, maybe we can scale down the production a bit, but it's never too bad to have too much of things that can be at least reworked into something else. Not under capitalism, though. Under capitalism, if you produce too much of something, that means you can't sell it, it drives the price down, and then it leads to the infinitely stupid uh, policy of basically destroying perfectly good products and commodities. Perfectly good. They, mm. they can be used as is to des- uh, destroy them, get rid of them, burn them, uh, or whatever else, just drain them. Uh, for example, uh, when what happened during the pandemic was milk prices in the United States were being affected uh, of dairy. So what uh, these massive conglomerates in the U.S. had to do was dump thousands upon millions of gallons of of, of uh, I'm not sure if it's millions, but vast amounts of milk just down the drain because otherwise it was affecting the price signaling of uh, dairy products, which have affected which would have affected profits. Now think to yourself: in a logical system, would we be dumping perfectly good milk or whatever else, um, or burning clothes, perfectly good clothes? That's another thing uh, that happens. Because, oh, you know, it might harm products a bit because the the system is just so irrational that it can't handle the fact that uh, we just kind of overshot how much we're supposed to be producing, right? It's uh, just kind of a... Um it, it, it depends on who which audience you're talking to. On one side, you can uh, discuss the irrationality of it to kind of underpin the stupidity of the system. On the other side, you can kind of appeal to people's direct needs and tell them like, hey, yeah, during this pandemic or during this crisis, you lost a home or basically you can't pay your bills or your kids can't go to, to college or you can't afford medical care because uh, the bills cost too much and you don't have any income anymore because you lost your job. Meanwhile, the richest people or your boss or whoever the fuck has been, you know, seeing massive records and has bought their fucking third summer home and their fourth mega yacht and fucking, yeah, to the end of it. So that's uh, just my general point that I want to tie together. Yeah, here in Texas, um, 
we had that that pretty brutal cold snap that the the state's not accustomed to and our, our electrical grid certainly wasn't up to um but during that that freeze where we had you know people died and pipes burst all over the state and, and houses flooded and stuff like that if you went to the grocery store there was no there was no milk on the shelf there was no water there were no paper towels there were no heaters there was there were no potatoes you know all this food stuff and that was the same stuff that was being just destroyed across the country because prices were not there to support the products. At the end of the day, it's not the products themselves that are of concern to the, the, the capitalists who own the corporations that produce them. The only thing is the price or the value, you know, whatever you want to call it, of the product being produced. I mean, if, if whether it's, you know, linen or food, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's. Did you say linen? Marx is quaking right now. I, I know. I did. Say, I did say linen. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you caught it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, that's that's pretty much all I had. It's it's fucking these, revisionists. <laughs> <laughs> these um, the the challenge that we that we see is that nothing. There's not enough linen. There's not enough <laughs> linen. Yes, <laughs> linen. Yes. Yeah. It's these these. Challenges and problems compound, you know, when first we're, there's an economic crisis, so we start dumping food, and then people can't can't find food when they need it, when there's a, a collapse of the electrical infrastructure, and it just gets worse and worse. And that, I think, is a great little uh, glimpse of how the, the whole system works in its entirety and how it's going to continue working. It's just going to keep getting worse. Exactly I would right. Go even, I, w- I would go even further than what you you guys just uh, very eloquently displayed. I would go as far as saying that there is no such thing as an economic crash because an economic crash would insinuate that the economy is not working the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And yes, one can make the argument, which we are making, that it's not working the way it's supposed to be for the vast majority of people that are living inside of the given system. But no, it's working just for, well for the people who it's intended for, the capitalist class. And not even just the people, for the purpose that it's been created for. Mm. To create inherent and unstoppable growth, to print as much wealth and as much money without <laughs> ever stopping, to roll as a bigger and bigger and bigger snowball down the hill of economic prosperity, quote-unquote, is doing every single one of those things. No matter which, like, uh, like be it 2008, be it 1921, be it uh, fucking World War II, capital has always uh, grown, and the availability of capital maybe has been limited on who just gets to interact with it. But the system itself, I'll give it to the libertarians or whatever, the system itself has perpetuated itself very successfully. Now, yes, it might be leading to people quite literally dying of starvation in every single corner of the world, but that's never been the objective of capitalism. We moved from aristocrats ruling us and whipping us into the new merchant class building up uh, their sort of vision of the world, which eventually, just like with the aristocrats before them, uh, got out of hand as well. And the system is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And yes, it is hurting the majority of us, but uh, it does not feel like it 
it is in crisis. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when a system does not feel like it is going to be in crisis, it is never going to stop itself. The ball is continuously going to be growing larger and larger down the hill. That's why it's important to build a wall in front of this big ball and to stop it. So we shouldn't expect rationality from people that are, as you said, profiting from the system the most, nor from the system itself to somehow have like a like an inbuilt break that's going to stop it before it crashes into anything. We need to either make it crash or make it stop because it's continuously going to roll. If there's literally zero people on planet Earth, and there's a few computers and CPUs that still work, that can still do uh, fucking still mine Bitcoin. It's still <laughs> going to mine Bitcoin. It's going to be the last little cell of infrared light on planet Earth even after we engage in the new fucking ice age or whatever. Unless, the, unless we do something about it, quite literally, it's going to keep fulfilling its function. That's it. Yeah, exactly right. I think that ties nicely into a general point of capitalism kind of uh, holding the sacred cow of um, profit over everything else. Um, and that's why it doesn't seem to care because it's an unfeeling system and those who are forced to comply with its measures, uh, being they, be they the proletariat or the ruling class, even the capitalists themselves, um, they're not masters of a capitalist system. They're slaves to it just in a different kind of way. Um, they can't control capitalism or capital any more than uh, we can. In fact, it's the other way around. Exactly. It, control, it controls them. Uh, and this leads to kind of the point of uh, infinite growth on a finite planet, I think, which is one of the stupidest aspects of capitalism that people don't really talk about much, which is a, a shame, I think. But yeah, the general gist of the idea is exactly as it sounds. Infinite growth on a finite planet. Capitalism is predicated on further and further economic growth. There is no such thing as, you know what, um, we're producing too many carbon emissions, so this year we need to have degrowth. We need to have a 1.2% reduction in the size of our economy. This is not something that capitalism can do, right? In fact, if this were even taken as a policy, capitalism would, cra would crash. Um, because as previously mentioned, it's a system predicated on further and further profits to be reinvested into the circuit of capital, which would then uh, garner further profits, which are then reinvested, which would garner further profits ad nauseum. What do you guys think of this this beautiful uh, little, uh, uh, <laughs> this add-on, this, this DLC of capitalism? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it really is, like you said, it's tremendously stupid. It's, so take oil and gas, for example. Hmm. There is a finite supply of stuff you can dredge from the depths of the earth and sell for a profit. As soon as that's gone, that's it. There's no more. GG. I mean, there's no you can't you can't <laughs> find more of it. And yet they they realize this, but they are still beholden to the market forces that demand that they keep producing at ever greater rates and keep growing every single year. And that is impossible. That is it is physically impossible to keep doing that forever, which is what capitalism demands. So eventually, they're at, they're going to keep doing this to the very end, and then they're going to find out, uh-oh, there's nothing left. What do we do? And then there's going to be a real crisis. And that happens across the board, not just oil and gas. You cannot keep growing forever when there is a cap on what you can extract. Exactly. Yeah, one could even make an argument that the, the, the necessity, what, what is necessary from us is not necessarily degrowth, which puts uh, emphasis on the everyday individual you know, consuming less uh, plastic mm -hmm. straws because it's killing no. uh, the goddamn turtles. 
but concentrating on just how much uh, of the damage that is being done to the planet is caused by a profit-seeking motive, which uh, unjustly and in a very disbalanced manner uh, leads to uh, very high margins of profitability for a very, very small, small number of people. And this, again, not being directed as a negative comments towards those people. I mean, it is. <laughs> Fuck them. But uh, <laughs> they're just do, they're just fulfilling. They're just fulfilling their their position in uh, what the system itself uh, requires somebody to inherently fulfill but i am me in particularly i'm not afraid of an incoming climate catastrophe because i know people are smart so if you're living in an area which will be underwater in the next 50 years you can just <laughs> simply sell your house to aquaman uh seriously though almost every corner which is cut in big business i love that american term Cutting corners <laughs> when you're cheating the system. Cutting corners, but yeah, every single uh, corner which is being cut in business is a consequence of increased profit seeking. So even if we have some sort of like, I always, I, I hope people notice this in every episode, and I think all of us do. We always try, uh, all three of us, we always try to uh, try and actually see things from the perspective of a pro-capitalist individual so just listen to me now and i'm going to try to do this so even <laughs> if we do have some sort of market capitalist solution for for example massive co2 emissions the money to pay for such a thing let's be honest is not <laughs> going to come from the pockets of the owners of those industries also known as quote-unquote billionaires but but out of your pockets Capitalist propaganda is going to continue being like, consume less, you plebeian, and uh, it's your fault this shit is happening, plastic straw drinker. Uh, these are just the beginning, those things I just quoted, they're just the beginning of putting the whole weight of climate disaster on the working class, which we've been calling the so-called consumer for the last 200 years. Again, no matter how much the market adapts to not destroying the planet as quickly as it is, because, again, it's going to have market motives to do so, most of the bill is going to be footed, legged, footed. What the fuck do you Americans say? When you foot the bill, <laughs> yes, it's going to be footed. Yes. It's going to be fisted. Most of the bill is going to be fisted up your ass, my friend. That's what I'm saying. And you should not be okay with this, by the way. Somebody coming in and telling you, you know, oh, blaming you because you drive a fucking Dodge Ranger that has 500 horsepower. Yeah, maybe you should grow like two inches of your penis and stop driving a Dodge Ranger. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, it's also not your fault. The planet is burning now. For your information, <laughs> sir, I'll, I'll have you know that, that Ford makes the Ranger, and that is a small pickup truck. <laughs> that is a reasonably <laughs> yeah, sized I, vehicle. I, <laughs> me no speak Americano, okay? <laughs> there's no such thing as fucking reasonably sized in the United States. Jesus Christ. Fucking, right. every, car uh, is, every fucking car is a glorified tank. 
Jeez. Yeah, I, I've seen like recently. I saw there's a there's a truck that was lifted so high that like my head barely came up to the wheel well. Like it was so big. Anyway, yes, but you got. I love me. how you guys are talking about the cars and size. I'm immediately thinking dicks and and tits. <laughs> but I, I watched this. I watched this TikTok where this guy's reacting to the biggest uh, biggest tits in the world. And it's like <laughs> listing out countries, the top 20 countries. And it's like on number 17 or something. And it's going towards number one. And he's an American. He's like, ah, oh, we're probably going to be like in the top five of this shit. Because, you know, we're this internationalist country. And, you know, we got all the, these sports and universities. And, you know, we got all this food. And we're rich and wealthy. And maybe, I don't know what argument he was using. But he was like, probably we got <laughs> uh, the women, the people, the people with the biggest tits here. And, uh, you know, push comes to shove. And in top five uh, boob sizes, uh, U.S. is number four or something. And then I open the comment section and the number one comment is, yeah, we have the largest tits because we also have the largest fucking body mass index. <laughs> it's absolutely to be expected. Uh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry for the little. No, that was, but yeah. that was fun. Anyway. But yeah. Sorry to go on the, the car tangent. But but what you were saying was correct, that, that the normal person is going to foot the bill. Like the other day I saw BP, you know, British Petroleum put out a, a document saying, here's how you can reduce your carbon footprint by changing your diet. I'm like, oh, thank you, British what? Petroleum. Yes, I will do that. I will reduce my carbon footprint. <laughs> by the way, in case you didn't know, British Petroleum, amongst other companies, were official sponsors of the, uh, if there can be such a thing, of the uh, invasion of Iraq. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, eat less fucking quinoa, and then you're gonna you reduce your fucking carbon footprint. Jeez, you got big BP <laughs> decals on all the helicopters. <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, they may as well have had fucking hell. That yeah, and Shell oh. and fucking Exxon. Yeah. That's the American one, right? Uh, yeah, Exxon. And Exxon was the one that was doing the all the cutting-edge climate research back in the 70s. I mean, they were among the first mm. ones to understand the effects that mm. their industry would have on the climate. And, you yeah. know, instead of... And then they... Systematically hit it. Exactly. Systematically hit it because it would have dug into profits. Yeah, fucking garbage system and garbage people. Fuck me. Sorry, it, go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. That's that's the sentiment we all need to have. It's they buried that information. They had it. They chose not to make it public. They said this is for internal eyes only. We are going to keep doing this despite the fact that we know what's coming down the pike. And they launched into one of the most expensive propaganda campaigns in human history to cover up the fact that what they were doing was essentially amounting to murder of millions of people over the course of the next decades. You know something that relates into this kind of, because you're on the point of advertising, and uh, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and I just went on one of my fucking usual rants. I, I, the, just how much I fucking hate the institution of advertising. Yes. And like it is one of the st- it, this isn't even part of like this the, the the fucking podcast this is just me fucking ranting the <laughs> stupid okay, the- doctor <laughs> <laughs> the, the I'm in- sorry I work in the fucking industry okay <laughs> so, sorry 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 I know it's your livelihood but let me shit on it for a bit please bro, you can shit on medicine afterwards yeah <laughs> sell me some pills bro sell me some pills. Oh, C vitamin works. I know it does. Oh. Hey, I, I, There's okay. a reason pharmaceutical companies don't have advertising budgets because they have doctors. <laughs> we sell it for them. I'm kidding. I'm, uh, I love you. But please do include this in the podcast. Yeah. Oh, I'm not funny. taking this yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Shitting. No, no. I was shitting on the... Yeah. 
Yeah. But anyways, yeah. The, go the, on, the, my the, friend. Go on. The, the thing I hate about fucking advertising. Sell me something. You little fucking walking <laughs> advertiser. <laughs> Eat a dick and let me finish. It's because I'm right. I am right. Yes. Oh, fuck. Anyways, my point being is that it is the... If you say sell, sell me something one more fucking time, I swear. <laughs> The fucking the issue. I don't with, have to because you're going to because you're a doctor. You're a okay, little coffee, billboard coffee. with coffee. five years of a university. Have me coffee, best oh. Shinai. All right. Uh, the the my fucking point being is this: advertising is the the idea that you don't actually need this money that could go to any better fucking thing. It could go into healthcare. It could go into fucking I don't know, getting toys for orphans. Literally anything that's decent, right? Instead, is used to basically psychologically trick you into thinking that you should get something that you don't actually need most of the time, right? If you know, if you look at like advertising from like 80 years ago or so, it's usually about the product. They talk about the product, what's good about it, why it would be helpful to you. You know, they're a lot more honest. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're all trying to sell you a lifestyle. It could be something as fucking benign as a banana, but they all, they'll show, you know, it's going to have beautiful people, usually on some uh, sun-kissed um, beach or, or <laughs> like, coastline, and they're living their life. They're all young and, you know, full of, you know, just enjoying having the best time of their fucking life, and they're trying to sell you this image, right? The fucking image that if you eat this fucking banana, the ideology will somehow affect you and you'll become <laughs> fucking happy and go lucky, you know, fucking uh, 23-year-old with bright eyes and the fucking future behind uh, in front of them. I say that as, I'm, as if I'm a jaded fucking boomer. I'm not that much older yeah. than that age. <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, but Where's you know my beach and banana? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but exactly right. And it's, again... The biggest stupidity of it isn't only that you're spending all this fucking money to convince people to buy shit that they don't, they don't need. It's that there's parallel uh, development of this. Every company that competes in selling bananas, hypothetically, or whatever other fucking commodity, are all spending in their individual budgets on different advertising campaigns to convince you that my banana is better than that dude's banana, despite <laughs> the fact that it came from the same farm. Because <laughs> it's, it's the so... only thing that differentiates them. That is a brilliant point that actually not a lot of people make. Which I'm very happy to hear coming from you because uh, a lot of people that do not work in advertising actually don't understand this. 99% of the differentiation between most brands is quite literally in their advertising and their positioning of how they're perceived by, by their given market demographic. More importantly, it's not even, most people do not, most com- corporations do not create a product and then start uh, pitching it to whoever happens to most co-identify with uh, the given type of banana. No, when you're creating purple bananas, before you start selling the purple bananas, you do massive research and you find out just what sort of demographic and psychographic is going to be consuming your purple purple bananas. And then you target those specific advertisements towards them. So yes, this is a massive amount of capital, which goes towards uh, something that is quite literally useless. But why is there this necessity of for advertising it's because there are so many uh, corporations competing in the same industry why are so many corporations competing in the same industry because there is always a niche that you can find uh, from which An you angle can profit you can play. without giving any sort of actual uh, value to the to the end consumer something uh... 
which also isn't spoken of uh, that much, which is the psychological effect, the negative psychological effect of being advertised to 24-7. Literally every day, everywhere you walk out, everything you look at practically is trying to advertise something to you. And it plays on angles of insecurity or uh, maybe uh, on, on things about your character that you wouldn't even consider otherwise. But it tries to sell you this idea that you are not a complete human being until you buy this fucking banana or whatever the fuck. And then all of a sudden, once you consume, consume, once you consume, then all of a sudden you become uh, this, you know, fully formed ubermensch. Uh, and, and then, you know, you eat too much potassium and then you get diarrhea from fucking <laughs> t- taste testing all, all the different competing brands of banana. Uh, but yeah, exactly. I did, like the additional reason, because I just I don't want to sound like I, I uh, undermined just the reason why advertising exists. Yes, it exists because... There's a thousand brands for one product, even though probably three brands could do uh, as good of a job, if not better. But number two is because the quality between most of these is on the same level, which is very poor. So Mm. the only thing that can be differentiated between them is how closely related you feel to one of the brands versus the other brands. Us Slavs know it very well with being <laughs> the lovers of Adidas and alcoholism, just like the people in the UK are fans of Nike and stabbing each other with large katana <laughs> blades. And in the US, uh, walking around in pajamas and shooting up their schools. But, uh, m- for example, when we were talking about quality, I think it can be a nice little uh, window into uh, the discussion of planned obsolescence, which is always very interesting and is always a very good point to bring up when it comes to uh, just how much the, the system doesn't work. And I want to just bring up not an, even an allegory, but a little story from two weeks ago. My grandpa and grandma, who uh, I kid you not, just threw out their washing machine that they bought in what was uh, like the 1980s. That shit was uh, built to last in a world not primarily ran uh, according to money. I'll bet half of my liver that this new shit from <laughs> Gorenje or uh, something, uh, which is also, by the way, Gorenje is an enterprise founded in good old Yugoslavia, but now ran for profit. I bet half my liver, liver that uh, it will go defunct uh, the second the warranty runs out. I mean, I think mm. I've spent like at least over 500 bucks just this month alone on my old fucking Beamer, German engineering my fucking ass. Maybe a <laughs> Lada is ugly and runs like <laughs> shit, but a blind dude with two chromosomes and no arms would probably figure out how to <laughs> fix it. Unlike this fucking thing that needs an, a, a team of 100 uh, Japanese motherfuckers. Uh, but yes, let's let's go into the discussion of planned obsolescence, which... I would argue if if little Yugopnik, little child me, who was introduced to capitalism, was to hear about uh, the argument of planned obsolescence, maybe it would have become a communist much, much earlier. Because this is, in my opinion, this is the, the main thing that this shit sells us. Not, okay, yeah, we talked on the market adapts itself. Oh, it can even... Uh, eventually save the environment even though it's destroying the environment oh yes advertising in 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 the long in the short term is bad but maybe the long term it then i can actually introduce you to the product you really need blah 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 many of these arguments but planned obsolescence is a count is a counter thesis to the main thing it's trying to sell us you will get the best shit you will get the best shit you will not be driving around in a lada you know and yet 
plant obsolescence itself teaches us that uh, the main thing capitalism is trying to sell us is absolute uh, bullshit. It doesn't work. It's quite literally the opposite of what it's trying to sell us. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Just to, in case it was lost in translation, um, a quick uh, definition of plant obsolescence is, for those who don't know, uh, the idea that under capitalism, basically products are produced not to last, but instead uh, they have a planned period of function before they will inevitably and um, uh, intentionally break so that uh, you will be forced to go and buy new whatever, like a new uh, commodity, new product, whatever it might be. And the idea behind this is to maximize profits because if you have something that you buy once and use for 30 years, um, they're not going to make as much money as if they make something that intentionally breaks after two years, so you have to buy 15 of them. Uh, across those 30 years. But sorry, uh, JT, you want to say something? No, I was just you gonna... see, I'm sorry, JT, but you see, you see how much respect I have towards our listeners. And I understand <laughs> that they probably know what planned obsolescence is. But my boy, Hakim, which he's, he's wiser than me. He's wiser than me. I'm closer to the West. He's further to the West, you know. Uh, by being further to the West, he's not as biased and he's more based than I am. <laughs> so I expect you guys to actually know this basic thing called planned obsolescence. But I keep forgetting that you people don't even know where Ireland is. So obviously <laughs> you're not going to know what fucking planned obsolescence means. Savage. So yes, I apologize, brother JT. Yes, Khabibi, please. please <laughs> Sorry. No. Uh. Sorry You're to right. cut you off. Sorry, I just uh, sorry again to cut you off. Fuck. This just reminds me again. I'm not again. We're not shitting on Americans. Blah blah. It's just fun to point this out. But I remember seeing this this uh, thing, uh, this map where it's like the, uh, average Americans are asked to point where uh, Iran is on a map, and some of them point at the fucking U.S. or the middle of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> or the Caspian Sea, like you couldn't get. What the fuck, man? At sorry, least sorry. To land. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, what was, so I, your what was I even gonna say? Um, no, I, I think what I was gonna say is that it is very contradictory how this stuff works because we are, Ugopnik, like you were saying, we are peddled these. Uh, products as if they are the greatest thing ever. You will buy this and you will be complete. And yet that is completely runs counter to the fact that this is, at least the U.S. and other hyper-capitalist societies, are very consumerist. It is based on the assumption that people will continue consuming endlessly. And that is not possible if these objects and products continue to function as as they're supposed to. They need to break in order for this consumerist uh, mindset, this consumerist system uh, to continue to function. And if that's not, not the case, then capitalism itself ceases to function. So this is a, a critical thing that people don't really understand, and it's, it's worth grappling with, that everything is designed to be as poor quality as possible while still maintaining the veneer of the shininess and, and uh, you know, exclusivity. Mm. And that also ties to the point of, again, like we mentioned, um, infinite growth on a finite world where, yeah, they instead of, you know, trying to preserve uh, material and, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, labor and just effort uh, from the human aspect, at least, um, the idea is let's just maximize profits. And I think the best example of this is um, uh, it came back, it came out a couple of years ago, I believe, that uh, the iPhone updates, um, they make little changes to the uh, battery quality. So that basically your battery ends up getting shittier and like worse and worse with each uh, iOS update to the point that then you're like, ah, oh, fuck, my battery's fucked. I need to get, go get a new phone, despite the fact that the battery is more or less okay. Like, eh, <laughs> it's a little worse, but it's not as bad as the, you know, uh, artificial software changes make it out to be. 
Uh, but I have a, I have a little, if you will humor me, I have a little an- uh, anecdote uh, that I can share about planned obsolescence. Um, it's more or less a newer, I guess, invention in the, uh, uh, do we say greater scale of things? No, that's not the fucking correct term. What do you Americans say? Grand scheme of things, whatever yep. the fuck that means. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I know a lot of idioms, but I don't really, I understand like scheme as in like schematic, but whatever, maybe I'm hyperanalyzing this. You, you understand what I mean, but English is fucking stupid. Anyway, it doesn't have to make uh, sense. That's just correct. We are just objectively <laughs> yeah. correct in all of our phrases. Exactly. Ex- exactly right. That's why we, that's why we foot a fucking bill. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, anyways, what I was saying is um, uh, generally in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, planned obsolescence is, is a relatively newer concept. Things that were built in the 60s and 70s and whatnot didn't have um, so much, right, of it. Uh, I'll use an example. My dad uh, had bought an Italian uh, hairdryer um, in the 70s. It was a Parlux, I think, 3000. I don't remember the, the exact one, but I use this fucking thing until I think 2019. So wow. this was a hairdryer that was in possession of multiple years um, in our family from the late 70s or so. So minimum, a minimum of 30 years, um, probably a lot longer. Um, uh, I don't know exactly when my dad bought it, but this fucking thing worked like a charm until my dumbass fucking basically smashed it on the floor and um, the internal fucking unit split in half basically so if i if my dumbass didn't drop it it would still probably be working <laughs> that's my fucking point that you could buy a fucking hairdryer i i just noticed i curse a lot uh, yeah it's okay americans will forgive me um you can buy a, a product and have it last almost have half your lifetime and now think about it like today is there anything that you can think of that you can buy and it will last you from now like 2021 until 2050 mm. no i can't fuck that tesla stock <laughs> that shit's going under fuck uh, anyways i'm not gonna get into that that nonsense but it yeah, will, but yeah it's still gonna last me he'll he'll and become massively rich in the pro in, he'll he'll become massively years. rich in the process yeah. of fucking yeah uh, oh my god uh, we'll probably have an episode on on him or just the idea of billionaires at some point where we can mm. just shit all over them uh but yeah that was just my my, my stupid little anecdote um uh, by the way, we're not fucking sponsored. Uh, I don't know if Parlux is good now. I don't know if they've <laughs> if they've been shit for a while. The last product I've had from them was from the fucking seventies before I was born. So, I think uh, the the next point um, there's a couple that we can talk about. Uh, I think one that is relevant that we can mention because it's very relevant to particularly the U.S. but everywhere else is the concept of the reserve army of labor. Um, very uh, theory, very boring, blah blah. But uh, the the general idea is this: um, under capitalism. In previous systems, like slave-owning society and feudalism and whatnot, uh, in the Asiatic modes of production, pre-capitalist formations, you never had a consistent workforce, right? There wasn't ever, like, work that needed to be done directly at all times. Um, It was more sporadic. Uh, Capitalism can be said to be the first system in which we have a massive group of people that are perpetually employed, which is a kind of, we can say, a, a positive for capitalism. But on the inverse... Um, if everybody is employed, as you may assume, uh, or as you may understand, the uh, this massive group of working class people uh, will have a lot of leveraging power because basically, if they're like, you can be like, hey, yeah, we all work, and you need us to work to make your money, so you know we'll just strike and we'll stop working if you don't give us what we want. And if everybody's employed, then there won't be any group of people that can come in and fill that empty role if a a group of workers is striking or not. Um, and that's where the Reserve Army of Labor comes in. Uh, under capitalism, we have a system. Uh, we live in a society. 
<laughs> we have a stupid system in which you have a perpetual group, massive group of people who are unemployed. The reason they are unemployed is twofold. Number one, um, to always uh, drive down uh, wages uh, because uh, if you go up to your boss and you're like, hey, yeah, I want to I wanna raise. You should pay me more because you're a fucking piece of shit. You make so much money off me. I don't see any of it. He can be like, yeah, hit the bricks, hit the bricks or whatever you Americans say. Um, we'll just get this guy off the street who's unemployed and he's clamoring to get a job. He's begging me for a job and now there's an opening. So he kicks you out and takes him in and that dude will gladly work for no benefits and lower pay and whatnot because at least he has a job that he can use to take care of his family at least to some extent that's number one number two of course is the aforementioned point which is uh, if for example a group of workers is striking and whatnot then there's always a group of people that can fill in that uh, room uh, so it's a positive for the uh, for the ruling class and it's a negative for the working class uh, and what it means the TLDR is capitalism basically perpetuates unemployment you'll never have a hundred percent employment under capitalism because it goes directly against the interests of the ruling class and directly against the rule uh, the, the interest of the system um, as compared to for example socialist countries which across the board have had uh, either a hundred percent or near a hundred percent employment rate because it makes sense there's always so much fucking work to do look at the United States for example the amount of effort and uh, work required to, for example, renew American infrastructure, all the tunnels and roads and bridges and uh, waterways and dams, all the shit that needs maintenance, all this nonsense that would need to be uh, renewed or renovated or built anew uh, across the uh, vast American continent would require millions of workers, probably, right? But even if it's done, then it wouldn't be... Uh, it wouldn't be taken from that angle of full employment. Instead, it's a sad attempt to, to, to save capitalism like it was with the first New Deal and now this bullshit new Green New Deal, etc., etc. But yeah, um, what do you guys have to say about this? Yeah, I mean, that philosophy of having a, a reserve army of labor is, is baked into the very language of capitalism here in the States. Like when you hear politicians throw around uh, terms like full employment, here in the States, full employment doesn't mean everybody who wants a job has one. It means uh, a sufficient number of people are employed while maintaining that reserve army of labor. It's like, I forget what percentage they, they count as full employment, but it's less than you'd think. They know it's a thing. They just bend the language to make it seem like, you know, if you want a job, you've got one. It's, it's very sneaky. Yeah, no, exactly right. Anyways, uh, so the point, uh, general point being is, yeah, uh, capitalism sucks as a perpetuous unemployment. So continuing on the conversation point about perpetual unemployment and the many other things that the system is introducing into the everyday experience that we have, uh, you know, I love talking about uh, dystopias and utopias. I don't know how much fun of a conversation this is going to be for the two other guys, but uh, it's always very fascinating to, fa fa ugh, fascinating to me how nobody seems to be able to, I mean, not even capitalists themselves, to come up with a utopian or at least positive vision of a future created out of uh, organizing the economy the way we currently do. Unless, I don't know, somebody is insane enough to think that cyberpunk is a sort of positive uh, dimension of existence. There's just this sort of common acceptance by everyone that will either move into hyper-ownership with I don't know, corporations overtaking national institutions that will dive even deeper into our escapist addictions and engage in these meta-universes. Haha, <laughs> I made a 
Mark Zuckerberg joke, so cool, <laughs> where we no longer even, you know, own anything material, even though that was the main promise of this fucking system, or the completely alienated and privately controlled automated labor pool, which will further destroy our, our identity as uh, actual working class people and continuously solidify us as something we started identifying as, I don't know, fucking 200 years ago as uh, quote-unquote consumers, which live on some sort of version of uh, barely enough to survive uh, UBI. That, or I don't know, we turn into fascists guarding our perceived uh, cultural or national borders from ecological migrants. But yeah, I would love to hear what you guys um, have to say about just how unimaginable a potentially positive future we can have if we continue the same direction that we're currently walking yeah. towards. Yeah, I'll start it off with a, a good tweet I saw the other day. It was um, someone was saying, like, it's just absurd how tech companies will pursue like the worst ideas in history like uh, the tweet was the tech company says we finally created the torment vortex from the classic <laughs> sci-fi story don't create the torment vortex it's like all these things that are you know dis warnings of dystopia from fiction and stuff and that we've seen in sci-fi for years it's like all these tech companies are actually pursuing these things like hey that's a good idea i'm going to implement whatever sadistic online torture complex that was written in this this Asimov story a bunch of years ago mm -hmm. but but yeah I think that's that's largely correct that it is almost impossible to imagine a future uh, in which capitalism still exists and the world hasn't turned into a dystopian hellscape um, like it, it's what we're going towards now is a future dystopia that lacks even the nice aesthetics that you see in, in movies like Blade Runner. Like, we're not going to be outside in a glittering neon city in the rain getting noodles from a street vendor. No, we're going to be, like, working in whatever salt mines or or <laughs> spice fields that, that is required of us in, in that future because capitalism will always trend towards further extraction. There is no possible future beyond that and i think yeah, you're gonna fist the bill i mean yeah sorry, exactly exactly i mean the boom and bust cycle that we've talked about is going to continue the rich are going to get richer the tendency towards consolidation is going to continue with capital being consolidated in fewer and fewer hands making you know a couple or even a single mega corporation with godlike power and the rest of us are just we're we're screwed and that's it's it's a very bleak way to look at the future but i think that is unfortunately what we're headed towards unless we can kind of break the back of the system you know the the funny part about it or not so funny part it's actually a lot more um terrifying is um with all the talk of you know future dystopias and how they look Capitalism is already so dystopian in its own kind of way. Um, even the modern era, I don't mean like, oh, in 10, 15 years with what might possibly happen with this or that. I mean, currently, as it stands now, the very fact that most people will go to work, earn a salary, which they're already being underpaid. Not only are they being underpaid, but they're having their surplus, surplus value being extracted. Um, and when they go home, they'll pay 60, 70, 80% of that wage 
to uh, a landlord who exists only to be parasitically, you know, well, lording over the land as they do, um, contributing nothing to the economy or to uh, productive uh, development, not contributing anything to society aside from, you know, oh, I just happened to, um, on a bunch of uh, a bunch of letters on a bunch of paper somewhere in a bank uh, say that I own this land and therefore you owe me uh, more than half of your monthly wage. That's already so terrifyingly dystopian, but it's so normalized that people don't even, you know, bat an eye when it happens. They actually just gladly hand over, or not so gladly, but they comply with uh, such ridiculous um, requirements of the system. Uh, so it's, it's just um, as dystopian as the system might get, I think the future will tend more towards this boring aspect of dystopia where you're just going to start renting more um, and uh, not owning anything. Have you seen the, the World Economic Forum thing where it's like, oh, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that fucking thing? No. Oh, my God. It's basically, it's like a, oh, um, predictions for uh, 2030. And it's like, you know, this like prim, this this uh, upbeat, happy fucking YouTube, like uh, the, the YouTube basic music. <laughs> the da, 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 that shit with the whistling. <laughs> and it's like, oh, things that will change in 2030. And number one is you will own nothing and you will be happy. And it's just like this dude awkwardly <laughs> smiling. And the idea behind live it on the they... street, own an <laughs> NFT of your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The idea, the stupid idea behind that is like, oh, um, we'll have a lot more convenience. That's how they try to frame it by being able to rent whatever you want and then just giving it back, so you'll never actively own anything. Um, and they're like, oh, you'll rent your car and your home and your uh, summer, you know, and your phone and yeah, all and that your child and your wife <laughs> and your body yeah, and your exactly. body parts yeah, and exactly. let's sell organs. Yeah. To some motherfuckers, <laughs> Woo-hoo! Oh progress, baby, yeah. and the NFTs on your liver, baby. Yeah. yeah, the libertarians are hard as rock right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, exactly right. No, 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 no. Libertarians don't get hard. That's their whole fucking. Oh yeah, problem. that's right. Yeah, unless there's somebody underage in the room. Um, oh. But yeah, <laughs> Ooh, there we go. Okay, I, I love when when they actually follow through on a joke. Oh it's Very show. Fala puno brate. <laughs> but yeah so that's 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 just the general fucking point um capitalism just sucks man uh, <laughs> i don't know what to tell you it's it's dystopian in all the most fucking boring ways like you said no neon city no fucking you know everywhere you go you see like it's in cyrillic and in like mandarin and in english you know and everybody is just like a beautiful mix of yeah. uh, ethnicities no, no no it's gonna be the same pasty old white guys with low hanging balls fucking you know haven't had an erection in 30 years but like yeah my profits you know it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. but anyways yeah so that's, that's my point you wake up you eat you wake up you eat a cockroach smoothie uh, you walk <laughs> over to your uh, protein fortified tablet which is yeah. which is supposed mm. to be a window because you live seven floors underground because everything overground is private property, which is not under rent because it's owned by like five people to increase uh, rent prices. And then you sit down and enter the metaverse with, uh, with your uh, <laughs> VR headset in which in which you mine <laughs> NFT uh, coins 7000 by actively moving your arms left and right, which turns on the electricity for your neighbor that's you get shuttled to your work pod, <laughs> your underground work <laughs> pod, in which you work your 12-hour shift, where they Whoa. they have this fucking, the propaganda speaker that uh, can, can, keeps repeating that, you know, 
<laughs> good, good job, bestie. <laughs> <laughs> good job. <laughs> Uh, Fuck me. Hashtag oh grind set. Uh. And there's there's a this there's a, month we have hired seven more people from a minority. <laughs> we are very progressive. Exactly. Get it's like and Pride Month, everything just gets like a the, the Pride flag like veneer everything, and then the second the minute ticks over, the hologram fades. It goes back to fucking gray. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh Gays consume, or, or like uh, uh, one day before one day before uh, Pride Month, uh, a gay person actually quits. Even though they would probably not allow quitting in this universe, mm-hmm. but let's imagine a gay person quits, and there's like five uh, private military corpos walk into the room, and they're like, "Okay, we're lacking a gay guy." And everybody's like, so what does that mean? Who the fuck's going to be gay for a month? <laughs> and put a gun in your fucking mouth. You gay, bro? You're like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm fucking straight. No, you're gay for the month. Okay, okay, I'm gay for the month. Okay, yes, the quota is filled, sir. Yes, we, we're good. We're good. We need you we to tweet from our corporate thing, account. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tweet, tweet from the corporate. <laughs> Uh, but but sir sir we are having cri- uh, criticism that uh, this person isn't actually gay okay record him having anal sex with a person <laughs> of his own uh, gender that that is going oh, to Lord. confirm that he's gay or oh, they or you know or as whatever. as as funny yeah, as you yeah. say as funny as you say that is uh, as funny as the or like not funny of course we're not trying to make make light of uh, forced uh, and coercive uh, sexual encounters but yeah but it's interesting that the how capitalism itself is a such a coercive system that this supposed joke is actually like mirrored in a lot of other things that you're forced to do. For example, um, if you've ever worked in a corporate environment, I'm lucky to not have done too much of that. Uh, but you go think you can probably comment on that. You're not allowed to criticize fucking anything, right? And if you do, you are directly punished. And also, they keep an eye on your social media account. So if you were ever to write anything. Uh, that goes even a little bit against, even on your own free time, it, go, it goes against the corporate party line, <laughs> so to speak, then there will be consequences for you. And it's this sort of, uh, not only in consuming habits, I've heard of this, I don't know if this is actually true, but I've heard in some uh, businesses, particularly food and whatnot, you're not allowed to bring uh, products of the competitors into the doors of said businesses. Like, as you know, like I've, uh, uh, at least in my part of the world, there's been some stories like that um but the general idea is yeah the the coercive nature of capitalism as much as we can make fun of it or you know make jokes that relate to it uh, at the end of the day ends up being you know uh, kind of a sad mirror to our lives where we're all coerced into stupid bullshit that we really don't want to do but hey it'll get us a paycheck so that means <laughs> having a, a reluctant anal sex as a straight man <laughs> so you can get so you can get I, your I... bezos credits <laughs> for the month oh. Dude, dude, the, uh, this year I've spent over $5,000 <clears> on Nutella because mm. I have to do blackface every day I go to work <laughs> so oh I can God. keep my wood job. <laughs> That's so fucked up. Because there's no black people in my part of the world. There's absolutely no black people. There's, it's very rare, you know. There's mm. one in... No, there are. There's plenty of black people, like one in 100,000. Mm. But uh, my job was uh, my um, my corporation i work for is u.s based and they don't understand that actually in certain parts of the world uh you know the the places are not that racially diverse so i go to this interview right and and the person uh, the the guy like interviewing me is like okay you know we have nine ten positions open nine of them are filled and the americans are like okay the 10th position we need to hire somebody from uh 
from an ethnic minority. And we asked them, mm. yo, can we hire somebody from a local ethnic minority? But they don't understand what that means. They they think the whole the whole world is basically the US. They can't like, find any Pomax? Uh, no, but don't know Pom they don't know what Pomax are. Uh, <laughs> so so the guy just uh, slides over a, a Nutella jar over to me. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna burn burn in burn in hell for the rest of my life. Uh, and uh, I do what I need to do. And, and at this point, uh, it, it's getting fucking weird. Because, like, I've, I've gained, I don't know, 300 kilos. Because if, if I, I don't want to, I mean, I'm already doing blackface. I don't also want to be throwing food away. So every time I get back from work, I have to eat all the fucking Nutella. You know? Americans, so it's, this it's, is all. And then it's like 5,000 calories. You know, Americans, like this is an obvious joke in case anybody's missing this. <laughs> Please do not cancel right. our, our sweet boy. <laughs> the people gave me trying to cancel. You go pick those blackface. <laughs> no, fuck! It's just a stupid joke. If you do uh, not understand that this is a metaphoric uh, analysis ver- slash uh, com- comedic take on the future of capitalism, which will never give you a cent more but will just create additional social norms to make you feel better about yourself for going to work, mm. then maybe you shouldn't listen to me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, JT and Hakim will kick me out of this podcast. There will be like oh, an additional podcast where I'm included in this one where... I'm not critical, su- crit- yeah, critical, critical support. Guys. Critical support for <laughs> yeah. Comrade Yukopnik. Yeah. <laughs> and Slavs aren't even white, so like, what the fuck? You know? Oh, Lord. No, no please, okay. Don't worry. Just wait for the... Uh, just for, wait for a white guy in the Midwest to... to... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, again, the only criticism these... I will accept is about yeah. wasting Nutella. Everything else, uh, <laughs> you missed the joke. You missed yeah. the point of the joke. Obvious joke to, yeah. uh, to, 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 to people. Yeah, all that. Anyways, no, no need for more disclaimers. Let's not insult the, audi- insult the intelligence of our audience. But yeah, generally, there are other, um, I guess, talking points that you can have about lip- limits of capitalism. But they get a lot more boring and a lot more technical. I'll just briefly mention a few, I guess. Um, just so that people know them and then you can do your own research. Um, of course, one of the main ones is something called the Fallen Greater Profit, uh, which has a lot of, um, what's it called, uh, empirical data supporting it. Uh, it's the idea that um, the rate of return, basically the profits that you make as the years go by in commodities is decreasing. And this is uh, proven, well, you can look up the, the, the data on this, uh, but the general idea is that basically um, capitalists want to produce things as cheaply as, uh, as possible, right? Um, so they innovate with machinery and techniques and whatnot. They underpay their workers and uh, all that. Uh, and the end result is they want to produce commodities as cheaply as possible. With the progress of time and with technology, commodities production of commodities gets cheaper and cheaper uh, and as a result of this the rate of return the rate of profit the amount of money you actually make on the return is less and less in the long run and what this will result in eventually is um, profits that or returns that are not even that great enough to reinvest into the circuit of capital to continue so it's basically it's totally like, happening exactly mm-hmm. right it's kind of like a built-in game over into the capitalist system and there's several ways of getting out of it and marx has d- described uh, uh marx discussed a few ways of getting out of it one of the ways of course is uh, massive destruction of capital uh, as happens with for example uh world war ii where you had massive uh, destruction of um uh industry across a continent uh which if you look at the data there's actually kind of a tick up it go the the arrow goes a bit up after world war ii because rates of profits increase because all of a sudden you have 
have to rebuild all this, uh, these means of production that were there just a couple of years ago. Uh, so that's one way. There's several other ways. It gets very boring and technical, but this is an aspect that's just kind of um, inevitable with capitalism. If we don't cause ourselves to go extinct, then the system will just drive itself into the ground. Um, another one is the general class contradiction aspect which is the, the big Marxist line. Um, you have two massive groups of, uh, not massive groups, excuse me, you have one massive group, the vast majority of humanity, which is the working class, and allied classes, be they peasantry and whatnot in, in more uh, agrarian societies, uh, versus uh, the, the uh, ruling class, which is a very small handful of people. Um, and both of them have diametrically opposed interests. One of them wants to work uh, the workers as hard as possible for as long as possible for as low a wage as possible to extract as much profit as possible uh, meanwhile the working class wants to work as le uh, as little as possible for as much as possible uh, so that they can make the biggest wage possible to live as comfortably as they can uh, and this of course uh, causes a uh, uh, class struggle which at points gets heightened uh, which causes social unrest and eventually revolutions and this is also an intrinsic part of the system uh, a inherent social economic and political instability um, that uh, maintains a, 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 an existence that, well, in the long term, like in a lifetime, is relatively precarious. Um, it's difficult to say that you can live an entire lifetime in one country without seeing at least one massive class upheaval of some kind. Uh, and this is the, the, the reality of the case uh, if you look at any country in the past uh, 100 years. And looking 100 years into the future will be no different as well. So... Uh, not to reiterate a Chinese curse, but may you live in interesting times. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, th these are just two points. There are many others, but it gets fucking boring and technical. What do you guys have to say? Yeah, you're right, definitely. Uh, what you're talking about there, the upheaval, I think, is something that's really important to realize. And in places like the U.S. especially, there is a tendency to think that uh, this is it. We've reached the end of history. And, you know, Francis Fukuyama mm -hmm. wrote the book, The End of History, and that was kind of the dominant neoliberal consensus for, for quite a while. But that's just objectively not the case. I mean, throughout history, it's there has always been periods of, of tremendous strife and upheaval. I mean, history has always progressed in ruptures, and that and when contradictions within an existing system become too acute, then a new system is born. And the same will, will happen for capitalism. I mean, feudalism gave way to capitalism, you know, several hundred years ago, and hopefully capitalism will eventually give way to socialism once the mm -hmm. uh, contradictions inherent in capitalist society become too much to bear. It's in, it is almost unfathomable to think that things can continue the way they're trending without some kind of massive upheaval. And we'll see when that happens, what will be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but this podcast has, has been about uh, the limits of capitalism. And there is an outer limit. I mean, if history is to be believed, there will be a, a final limit to capitalism and, and then something else will come after. I think it's foolish to think otherwise. I think a bearded guy once said something. Um, all hitherto something something, society something something, <laughs> class struggle. Hmm. <laughs> Probably not important. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess uh, uh, does that wrap us up for, for, for today? Do you guys have anything else to add? I think that'll do it. I think we've covered it. Um, I think TLDR, capitalism bad. Hopefully it explodes. <laughs> Otherwise dystopia. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. No, this has, been, uh, this has been a good episode. I think we had some fun with this. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Uh, this has been The Deep Program. I'm JT. I'm Hakeem. And I'm Yugal. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>